Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Uh-huh. I've been around the block, ripping up fantasy stock, working around the clock, look at the view from the top, mm. researching rookies a lot, no, I just be listening to pods, yeah, one in particular, I'm just a messenger, let me just pass on the rock, uh. browning, brunning, bruning, pronouncing ain't what he's doing, what he's doing is not losing, but infusing you with new things, and there's Dennis the Bennett, yeah. The man is a menace, yeah. Building a dynasty, some of the finest things. Promise you, you won't regret it. Mm. Slice a fox, coach it in pop. Give him his props. Here is a thought, here is a box. And you cannot compare him at all, so don't even try. Careful with the news, but when you use a take, I take up Tony Fire. I mean dire, because anyone else is a huge mistake. Whoa. Fantasy round table, fantasy, fantasy round table. Yeah. Fantasy round table, come take a look at the crown, baby. Hey. Fantasy round table, fantasy, fantasy round table. Woo. Fantasy round Table. Come take a look at the crown, baby. Go. What is going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the Fantasy Football Roundtable Podcast. We are brought to you by Campus to Can, which I always forget to say at the beginning. It is Thursday, so Matt and myself are here. We are going to be talking about the rest of the AFC West. We've got the Broncos and the Chargers on deck for today. We will also be talking about episode three of Loki, which was last week's episode. I believe neither Matt nor myself have been able to watch the episode that dropped yesterday. Obviously, I'm excited with the way that the kind of cliffhanger hung off on episode three to get into it, but I won't get a chance to do that until that. uh, Yes, FF, man, but we had had someone hook us up with that thanks to your awesome song, and then they they added a nice little video onto it. It's been been really, uh, really cool. So... Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right, Austin. That's right. Paying the big bucks for that sponsorship. So yeah, we um, we're excited to talk about that and that. Before we get into it, Matt, how you doing today? Doing pretty good. Uh, I don't know uh, exactly what's going on outside, but it was very bright, uh, and all of a sudden it got super dark. So I flipped the light on. Uh, I haven't been outside, and I'm kind of afraid to go out there right now. Is it getting like talking like hailstorm bad? Like you've had? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it got really black. I I looked on the internet. They said there's some. It could just be heavy rain. We were supposed to to get some big rain, but it's been, you know, a lot of places suffering heat waves. We've been blissfully cool um, this last week. No complaints in that department. 
Yeah, I wish I could say the same. We've, we've been running with our record 100-plus temperatures, so it's uh, not been fun. But I guess that's what we get for living in Texas. So before we do jump into it, there are two little news items. It's been kind of a slow period for us, which is why we've been jumping into a lot of these uh, division previews. Uh, the rumors of Ertz to Buffalo are heating up again. Uh, what are your thoughts on this, Matt, as, as a guy who, like myself, is uh, – Fellow Dawson Knox believer, is this is this the end for our guy Dawson Knox? Yeah, well, as Dennis uh, hastily pointed out, them adding Josh Hollister or Jacob Hollister probably wasn't a great sign either. Um, but now this, you know, that would really uh, probably take Dawson Knox out of the running for anything. And I, I do they they've been talking about it for a while, but I also think it's interesting that the it really heated up and appears like they're really going to make it happen after that whole kind of thing with Cole Beasley. Um, I would say adding Ertz, you know, we talked about. I don't think it affects Stefan Diggs, but it could certainly take a chunk out of any of the other three um, receivers. You know, we have some hopes for Gabe Davis stepping up. Emmanuel Sanders came there; that was already going to muddy it up. And who knows what exactly is going on with Cole Beasley? He's even threatened to retire, um, you know, because he's not happy with the the potential protocols. So I think. All those make a lot more sense for them going to get Ertz, who probably still has a season or two of decent production left in him. Uh, it could be a, it could be a good grab for the Bills um, and for their pass offense. So that'll be be kind of interesting. Supposedly, it's imminent, so maybe we'll see it by Monday. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I think really good for Ertz. Obviously, we've been kind of trying to figure out if he's going to get moved. That's great for Goddard. If you've got Goddard in a dynasty league, I just got him in the 16th round of a start. No, no, it was like the 12th round of a startup as my starting tight end, tight end premium too. So I'm somewhat excited about that Ertz trade going through. Goddard now, if he can stay healthy, will definitely be, uh, I think, on the rise now with him going. And I, I think that's a great target for Allen. I mean, given what Diggs did last year, and then you give a big tight end who's got good hands uh, to Josh Allen as well. I think that's going to be just another playmaker for him, whether Beasley stays or not. I'm really liking the way this offense is shaping up, not so much as a Browns fan, but definitely if you're a Bills fan or just a fan of Josh Allen, that's good. Uh, the other news, a little bit more serious, and if, if you followed him in college, we've known that there's been – what you would say is character red flags for the past couple of years. You know, last year he was getting in fights on the sideline with his coaches and teammates and then just abruptly left and then, you know, decided he was going to sit out the rest of the season and declare for the draft. And that's Tamori on Terry. Uh, it is being reported that he is being charged. I think it's him and I was it eight other people or 18 ten, other people. Ten, ten other, other. Yeah, ten other people are being charged with a murder um, back from 2018. He was cut by the Seahawks. I imagine the Seahawks probably got wind of this beforehand, and that's probably what yeah. led them to cut him. Uh, I think it was a day or two ago. Then the story yesterday. came out this yeah. morning. Yesterday, the story comes out this morning. So uh, obviously, not a great look for him, especially if I have not had a chance to read the article. But I didn't read what was in it, so I don't know how bad the article is. Obviously, if you're ever accused of murder, it's not a good thing. Uh, so if this if this happens to be true, uh, obviously it's not good for him and likely ends his football career. So, well, and so Terry, a guy we saw slide, didn't actually get drafted, but got signed as an undrafted free agent, and um, it was definitely interesting when he got released uh, by Seattle yesterday uh, because we haven't even had a chance to go to training camp or anything. And I saw a couple of people jump on there and say it made 
total sense given the great depth they have at the wide receiver position, which I, I was kind of scratching my head. Makes a lot more sense today when you see this news break. And I would say his prospects in the NFL weren't incredible before this. They're probably like what you said. Yeah. No. Um, see what happens with the legal process. He's probably a guy that would have to work his way back through a, an XFL or a CFL. Yeah, no, I don't want to make light of the charges, obviously. It's it's a very serious charge if he is guilty of what he did. I imagine he's going to pay the price. He's not going to get away for it or anything because of him being a football player. And he deserves whatever comes his way if he is guilty. I just can't I don't want to assume he's guilty. I said I have not yeah. read the story. I don't know what it is. So just going and basing this solely on football, because I feel like sometimes people look at this and say, you know, you're not talking about the thing that matters. We're a fantasy football show. We're going to focus on the football side until more things come out. So the Los Angeles Chargers, a team that I was very excited about last year. My guy, Justin Herbert, them played amazing, ends up getting rookie of the year, breaks the uh, freshman passing touchdowns, uh, and now comes into his second season. A lot of people expecting a sophomore slump. Finishes 2020 with a 7-9 and record in third place. Their key additions, they add tight end Jared Cook, QB Chase Daniels, and the big one, center Corey Lindsley from the Green Bay Packers. Their key losses, Hunter Henry goes to New England. Casey Hayward, the cornerback, goes to the Raiders. Trey Turner, the guard, goes to Pittsburgh. Tyrod Taylor, backup quarterback, goes to the Houston Texans. In the first round, they drafted offensive tackle Rashawn Slater. In the second round, they got Asante Samuel Jr., the cornerback. Third round, the pick that was um, intriguing to a lot of people is Josh Palmer, the wide receiver out of Tennessee. And then they got Trey McKitty, the tight end, in the third. Anthony Lynn is out, uh, someone that I was a big fan of uh, at first. Sort of really kind of come around to it being a good thing that he's not there. Uh, but Brandon Stanley is in. What do you expect from the Chargers, and can this team make the playoffs? You know, I think they were right on the cusp of being able to make the playoffs last year. We talked about they didn't have a lot of great success in close games. Felt like they missed out on a few games that they should have been able to win. That's probably what ended up being a deciding factor for Anthony Lynn. Herbert looks great. They have some great pieces on offense. They have some great pieces on defense. Um, Staley who is a good defensive coach, led the number one defense in the NFL with the Rams last year, had experience with Fangio and the Broncos the season prior to that. I think he can bring some great energy. You've already heard about uh, Chris Harris, who uh, who I loved when he was with Denver, went to the Chargers last year talking about how good their secondary can be. Can they stay healthy? I think that's really been a bugaboo for the Chargers defense the last couple of years, especially like Derwin James, even um, – I think it's Joey Bosa that they have. I get them confused. I think Nick is in San Francisco. Joey is the one that is the Bosa they have. Uh, Even Harris didn't stay on the field after they signed him last year. So if those guys can stay healthy, I think uh, we've seen Staley do some, some good things on defense. And I think they have a chance. The AFC we talked about super deep. The AFC West, this division that we're looking at, I would not rule out any of these four teams making the playoffs. So that tells you that's going to be a pretty fierce battle. You know, you could end up being having a, a nine-win season and not making it in the AFC. You may end up having a 10-win season and not making it in the AFC. So they can make the playoffs. Will they make the playoffs? That's a, probably a little bit of a different question for me. I think they will make the playoffs. I'm kind of going all in. You know, we we talk a lot about this during the year. Obviously, if you guys are new here, me and Matt are here five days – no, four days a week. I'm sorry. We always take off Wednesdays. Four days a week talking about everything. 
Uh, and the big thing we always talked about with the Chargers, they were always losing like these one score games. And it was always really tight going into the fourth quarter. And then I would always make excuses for Anthony Lynn just making a really bad decision on whether it was like a fourth, like in the, the Chiefs game when it was like fourth and two or something. And they decide not to go for it, give the ball back to, to I was going to call him Kansas City Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes is his actual hey, name. He'll he take could his, be Kansas he'll City. He'll take Kansas City. Kansas City Mahomes. I'm sure. He is Kansas City at this point, but uh, you know I or even I that Buccaneers game they were up by yeah. quite a bit if I recall against the Buccaneers uh, and they just they just foiled it, it away. Brady had thrown I think three or four interceptions because that was our famous when we were in our other Discord at the time. I was making fun of Brady, and then of course he leads him all the way back and beats uh and beats the Chargers. Yeah. It, they were in really good games all last year. They've added pieces on the offense, like improving that offensive line, and they're getting defensive players back. You know, hopefully, Derwin James can stay healthy for a full year. They've got Bosa, who can hopefully same thing. I mean, he was he played I think almost every game last year, but he was dealing with injuries all year long. Like they can get these guys back and get them and stay healthy. I think it could be a really really good year for the Chargers. They are one of the teams I am really excited to see play next year because again I, I don't think Herbert's going to take much of a step back and it's going to be interesting. Obviously a lot of people talk about that sophomore slump. Will he see it? You know I, I think just with the way he plays offense and Brandon Staley who I, I we just talked about him coming in. You know a former quarterback knows offense and defense was he was like a defensive coordinator for he was a uh, line, linebacker. He was yeah, linebacker so, coach for the Broncos and then defensive coordinator for the Rams. So, I mean, but he's a former quarterback, so he knows the offense and he knows defenses very well as well. Being a, a coach on the defensive side, obviously being a quarterback, knowing how to read defenses and everything. So, I'm really excited what he can possibly bring Herbert moving forward as well. And then they brought in, um, oh my goodness, very famous uh, head coach. I forgot his name now. Uh, their offensive coordinator from the Saints because he's talking about Austin Eckler being his Alvin Kamara. Oh my God, the Lombardi, Lombardi, Lombardi. That's it. Lombardi. Yeah, Lombardi. I don't remember his first name, but last name. No Lombardi. There we go. Uh, who's talking about everything he's going to do? You know that. Well, which we'll get to the Mike Williams stuff. Them talking about Mike Williams playing the X, and you know, for the last three years they've been saying he's going to get more targets. Maybe I guess this will finally be the year. I doubt it, but they've got a lot of very interesting pieces. There, I mean, he was making guys like Jalen Guyton fantasy relevant last year. And who, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you, when Jalen Guyton caught his first pass from uh, from Herbert, I was like, who the hell is Jalen Guyton? I had no idea. So I, I'm, I'm excited for what this team can do in year two. Yeah, and to speak to your point, Bosa only was able to start 10 games last year, only nine for Harris. Derwin James didn't play any. Yeah, he was out all year. I remember Jer- James being out, but I think he's been. Do you have James's stats up? I don't think he's played yeah. a full season, has he? No, I'm gonna look it up because I think he's had major uh, yeah. injuries to start. Um, he has played. He played full 16 games as a rookie. Played only five in 19 and zero last year. Yeah, so, so they he's... really haven't had him in a couple of years, and that would be a big difference maker, especially yeah. with potentially who they, who, you know, who their coach is. Exactly. And I mean, adding a guy like Samuel, who I think is going to be a good cornerback as well as a rookie in there. I mean, they, they've got a really good team. It's just health and can they put it all together? That's been kind of one of those things. I feel like a lot of people, and again, I was whole, I, I was defending Anthony Lynn. I think I've kind of come around to the other side of the fence now where everybody who is saying he may have been one of the problems. I was like, I still think he's a good head coach. I do the more and more I'm looking at, I think he may have. He wasn't terrible. He just probably can't get them to where they need to go. 
Yeah, yeah, that did. Brandon, maybe, uh, you know, perfect example where he came from, the Rams. Maybe it's one of those things where, like, I mean, not that Jeff Fisher was ever, like, a good head coach, but, like, we saw what bringing in a guy like Sean McVay immediately changed in that team and the way he was able to catapult them forward. Can Brandon Staley do that? It's going to be a very interesting team, especially in a division where we think we already know who's going to easily win this division and probably be the one seed in the AFC, and that's the Kansas City Chiefs. All right, so fantasy finishes and projections. Herbert started off the season, uh, started most of the season and was fantastic. Where do you think he finishes in year two? Most have him going top five. Last year, he finished his QB9, 4,336 passing yards, 31 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. That's just ridiculous touchdown to interception ratio right there. And then 234 rushing yards and five touchdowns. Dennis says he's got him coming in at QB8. Where do you have him coming in, Matt? Yeah, I mean, he did all that, too, without much of a rushing game to support him. And with um, Eckler missing quite a chunk of time, Allen missed a couple of games, Mike Williams missed some games. I have him right now in my first pass at QB5. Uh, I like the top five potential. I think no worse than top ten unless barring injury. Yeah, I have him at QB6, and that's just because I did move Lamar back up into my top five. I'm not going to hate it if Herbert jumps him, but I'm with you. I don't think – I think eight, if I'm being honest, is where Dennis has him is like his floor. And it feels yeah. weird saying that because – so do you expect – or if he does hit that sophomore slump, you know, because – I know I know Baker hit it, but we talked a little bit about this on Debbie Debate on last week's episode when we talked about Baker. Would you rather have Baker, Aaron Rodgers, and I defended my guy here? Because uh, I don't – I Aaron Rodgers is better, but I just think overall the Browns should have kept – should keep Mayfield. I think some of his struggles in year two was more because of Freddie Kitchens and just that team in general. It was a dysfunctional mm-hmm. team. Was, we saw him bounce back in a big way in year three. We saw Lamar take that huge step forward in year two. Josh Allen improved a little bit, but didn't take that big step forward till year three. I'm trying to think of anybody else off the top of my head who's kind of – I mean, Kyler Murray's been, I think, pretty yeah. much the same guy the past two years. So where do you see Herbert going in year two? Do you see – Small step back, big step back, kind of right there on that plateau. What are your thoughts? So I would tend to be a little bit with you that Mayfield, it may not have been so much a sophomore slump as changing schemes. And that would be the only caution I'd have about Herbert. I, I was so impressed with what he did last year, and I I don't think they're going to go backwards, but that's sometimes if you're learning a new offense and new players. He doesn't have to, to learn a lot of new players. He did lose a guy who was a big security blanket and a big target for him, which was Hunter Henry, but Jared Cook should be able to slide into that role or Donald Parham, who we like, who we'll talk about those guys in a minute. He's still got the same basically top two receivers. If he gets a healthy season out of Eckler, I think that all helps. Um, but that would be the only thing that I think might drop him back a little bit. But still, I, I don't think he's going out of the, the top ten. I like what they've been doing. And I don't think their team, you know, they're in a division and a conference that is going to necessitate them having to put up points. Because even good teams, you know, even good teams in the AFC are going to have to score. You're not going to hold all the – you know, when you play the Chiefs, if you can hold them to below 30, you're doing a good job. You're not holding below yeah. 20. 
Yeah, I, I'm with you. And, and some of that goes to, you know, I've said it before um, with him. He reminds me, obviously not with the uh, with his legs. I think Dak's probably got a little bit better rushing upside than Herbert does. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Herbert, when when they're passing, reminds me a lot of Dak. And, and he really seems to be like a see-it-throw-it type of quarterback. He's not a guy mm-hmm. who, when you watch him, has a bunch of anticipation throws like Joe Burrow, who's like throwing it before the wide receivers even made his break on the route, and it's right there for him. Like Herbert, and it's because he's got that cannon, right? Like he can fire anything into the tightest windows. I think that's what also has kind of limited him some on his interceptions. It's also hurt him a little bit. It's why he got sacked so much. It's not all on his offensive line. Some of that was him waiting so long to try and make a play. But when you've got guys like Keenan Allen who, I mean, he can break your ankles in a phone booth with the way that dude runs routes. It's ridiculous. You've got Mike Williams who's got that big wingspan. And then if guys like Jalen Guyton, I mean, I still have hope for K.J. Hill, but that's probably a pipe dream being a yeah. think, sixth or seventh round pick and didn't do anything last year. But even with what Jalen Guyton did last year, like you just said, they they bring in Jared Cook, who I think is reliable. He's not he's not going to be Hunter Henry, but he's reliable. He's got playmakers that can help him. And then if Austin Eckler can stay healthy, he's got a guy he can dump the ball off to. So he's got a lot of weapons around him. I'm with you. I think at worst. You know, and they're not going to be a power running team. You know, yeah, that's, exactly. they don't have the backs to be a power running team. So when they move the ball, they're going to have to do it throwing and using the short passing game. And I, I don't think so. Even if he does take a step back, I see that more as in he, maybe he throws a couple more interceptions than him going from like 31 touchdowns to 20 touchdowns and 15 interceptions. I think he's going to stay pretty close to the touchdowns. I still think he's going to get you some rushing touchdowns, but maybe he takes up three more interceptions, which at the end of the day, even if you lose points for interceptions, it's not going to kill you. He's still going to be a high-end producing quarterback. And a guy that, you know, I tweeted this out uh, the other day and in one of my big Dynasty League super flex, I got him in like the 14th round last year. Uh, and, and, you know, just the fact that he – like I think I actually took Tyrod Taylor first because – or no, I didn't. I took Herbert first. But I had him and Aaron Rodgers last year, which helped me win a championship, thankfully. But – to be able to, you're not going to be able to get Herbert anywhere past like he's like usually the fifth or sixth quarterback off the board at this point. You're not getting him anywhere near there. So for all of you that believed in him, like me did, you know Ricky Valero over at uh, Debbie Delight Driving Pot, we had a we did a show together with him last year talking about how much me and him both love Justin Herbert. If you got him last year, as late as you did, you're loving life right now because he's going to be a high end starter for a long time. Austin Eckler. Caught 54 passes in just 10 games. If healthy all season with Herbert, where does he finish? And do you have any interest in Justin Jackson or Joshua Kelly? He finished, Austin Eckler finished his RB26 last year, 116 carries for 530 yards, one touchdown, 54 receptions for 403 yards, and two touchdowns in just 10 games. Dennis said that, uh, where'd he go? Eckler, he has his RB14, Jackson is RB67, and Kelly is RB62. The backup fall prey to the dreaded hot hand, and I think Kelly gets a couple more touchdowns. Yeah, I think Joshua Kelly probably one of the bigger disappointments last year because a lot of people were hyped on the potential of him going there, and it seemed like he got a lot of opportunity, especially with Eckler being injured and Jackson being injured, and we just never saw him be able to deliver. I think he ended up getting displaced by Kalen Balazs, if I remember. So it's hard to have any faith in him and I, you know how much I've loved Justin Jackson thought there was potentially, we just, we haven't seen it And at this point in time. I don't think it's going to develop Eckler though. 
I thought the comparison to uh, Kamara could be apt. That does seem like the style. He's probably more likely to get 100 receptions than 1,000 yards rushing. Yeah. I think he's an RB1. I currently have him in my first pass at RB9. I've seen people who think he has top five potential. Um, that's certainly expressing enthusiasm for this offense and this quarterback, and that's probably true. I feel safer in probably the 6 to 12 range. So I have a question for you on Eckler because I was looking into him a little bit the other day, and I, I noticed some things that surprised me. So for for him to be that high, because I think I have him at – 10. So I'm not far off from you. I'm like right in the middle kind of, of like you and Dennis. And my biggest fear with him is what you just mentioned, rushing the ball. Cause I agree with you. He could get a hundred catches if they use him like uh, Kamara. Kamara gets rushing touchdowns over under on Eckler this year, three rushing touchdowns. Would you go over or under? I mean, I'd say that's probably a push. You know, so you he know had, then. He had one in 10 games. Yeah. Well, no, so I've got his his stats up because I did not realize this until I was looking at the. He's never rushed for more than three touchdowns in an entire season. Yeah. Well, and and that's crazy to me. And that's where even last year they were using, you know, the five rushing touchdowns for Herbert is because they were using him a little bit in the red zone. That's probably a place where they're sticking in a Kelly who's a bigger body or they're throwing it to a tight end or they're throwing it to, you know, Eckler. Kamara did really well on rushing touchdowns last year. He hasn't always done incredible on rushing touchdowns, but Eckler or but uh, Kamara is probably a bigger back and more of a red zone threat than I see. Eckler's kind of he's not a tiny guy, but he's a little no, bit of a shorter. Five, five, ten, he's like he's a bowling ball kind of yeah. player. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they give him more red zone carries. But honestly, I. I just don't see him making a bulk of his points off off the run game, which is why in PPR he's golden. If we were talking standard, I'd probably be more like Dennis dropping him into the RB2 range because you're not getting those PPR points. You're probably not getting touchdowns. You maybe you know, in a standard league, maybe you're even going to see him in the 20s. Yeah. So Kamara is 5'10", 215, so he's got about 15 pounds on him. So Austin said over on that bet, and I would have said the same thing except – and, I mean, obviously he's missed some time. I mean, Eckler has been – well, I say that, and then I know it was corrected last year that he's actually played more games. I thought 16 games, 14 games, 16, 10. So he's only yeah. had two years where he hasn't played a full season, but yet he's never rushed for more than three touchdowns. Now, he gets the receiving touchdowns as well. So at the end of the year, his touchdown totals look good, but he's only – the highest rushing amount he's ever had is three touchdowns. It was three well, in 2018, three in 2019. And how much are they going to try to rush in the red zone period? It looks like they only had 12 uh, rushing touchdowns total last year. I I just don't think, you know, they're not a team really set up for a power running game. And once you get into the red zone, that's kind of a power running area. I was looking the year before, even with Melvin Gordon, they only had 12 rushing touchdowns as well. I don't see them taking a huge leap up. You know, if he got to four, I don't think it would blow either of us down. No. But three feels like about the right it, number. It feels like – well, I mean, like that's said, when, when Austin commented over, like when I was looking at that, I was like, if I would ask anybody that question, I feel like they'd go smash over. Austin Eckler's a good running back. But then you look – and again, we do have to take into effect, you know, he did have Melvin Gordon there for a couple of years. So that's definitely going to – he's a bigger back. 
probably the guy, the guy that used more down in the red zone beforehand. But still, just the fact that he's only had three as his most was just – it was surprising to me. So I, I do um, think he's, he's going to he get more. He started 10 but, games last year and still only yeah. got one rushing touchdown. I mean, it's not like you're saying he, he started – three games and got two rushing yep. touchdowns and we're selling him really short. Then, you know, Kelly and Balazs, who are the backs they used, only combined for five rushing touchdowns. Yep. So they're just not a, a big rushing team down there. I think that's why you see like a Hunter Henry uh, got uh, touchdowns or where you're seeing receivers get some touchdowns or Herbert. Herbert had yep. more touchdowns. Five, yeah then, you know, he only had one fewer than those three running backs combined. Yeah, and that's what worries me about Eckler, because that's the thing, too, right? Like, everybody, he had a really good year. The only game he played bad was the very first game of the year when Tyron Taylor was the quarterback. Once Herbert came in, he blew up, and he was playing really good. So, yeah, I'm with you. I think Herbert probably steals some. Do they use Bellage or Kelly? I do think he'll go over, though. Like, if I had to put money on the table today – even though history says that's not going to happen, I do think he's going to get more than three. I just kind of wanted to emphasize that. And it, it's very, it's like one of those really weird stats where you look at it and you're like, wow. It's almost like the the Julio Jones of running backs. Like he's always producing. And then you look at him like this dude never scores touchdowns. So. Well, and with a Jared Cook and maybe a bigger body, healthy Mike Williams and Keenan Allen, they actually have some better pass, big passing yeah. weapons to use in the red zone that, you know, if you were like, do I hand it to Eckler and try to power it in? Do I hand it to Joshua Kelly and pray he can fall forward? Or do I look at one of these big guys? I mean, Jared Cook, maybe getting older, but he, we've seen him even last year with the saints thrive in the red zone. I just think they're more set up for that kind of success. All right. So on to the receivers that you were just mentioning there, Keenan Allen and Mike Williams are the top targets. Where do they finish this year? Keenan Allen last year, wide receiver 13, a hundred receptions, 992 yards and eight touchdowns in 14 games. Mike Williams in 15 games finishes wide receiver 48 with 48 receptions, 756 yards and five touchdowns. One of those games though was like a great game. Helped me get a win in Scott Fishbowl tent. So I was definitely thrilled about that because the rest of the time he was practically non-starter. Uh, uh, Dennis said here that playing the X, which is the Michael Thomas role in Joe Lombardi's offense, I don't think he'll get more targets than Allen, but looks to be in for a good year. Him talking about uh, Mike Williams there. And then on Keenan Allen, he has him as wide receiver 10. Mike Williams, wide receiver 52. And he said, I do think that I will be too low on Williams. So you've seen all the talk the past couple days about the X spot. I will say I get it. It's the Mike Thomas role in what the Saints offense was. And I love Justin Herbert, and I do think he's got immense upside. Let's not quite compare him to a Hall of Fame quarterback just yet. And please, dear God, can we stop saying Mike Williams is going to be playing the Mike Thomas role like that matters because he's not Michael Thomas. Yeah, and he he has not um... – had a great reception percentage. You know, last year he had 85 targets and only 48. I think the year before he had 100 targets and only like 49, um, something like that. Keenan Allen, I like a lot. Um, I think he'll do even better. I currently in first pass have him sitting at wide receiver six. I think he's a wide receiver one regardless. I feel pretty safe he's going to be in the top ten barring some kind of fluky injury. I think he's only going to build on last year. I wouldn't be surprised if he has a few more touchdowns. I think he'll have more yardage. Williams, it's a contract year. 
Um, so he's definitely going to want to show out. What does showing out mean? I I think he's probably a wide receiver four still for me. Um, there, you know, wide receiver is just such a great position with so many guys, and I know, you know, I just feel like Williams is the third or fourth option behind Eckler. Uh, you know, Eckler and Allen for me are going to be one and two. Um, Cook's going to be in there somewhere. Williams probably going to get you know the same. You know, maybe he gets up to 100 targets. He played in almost all the games last year. He was in 15 games. So it's not like he missed a bunch of time. Uh, do I think he'll take up a little bit more? Yeah. But I think, you know, probably upper 40s is where I'm going. You know, I don't have him quite as low. I think he may improve on his finish last year, but not a ton. Yeah, so to answer your question, he had 90 targets in 2019 for 49 catches. So he's been right around the 50% mark, a little bit yeah. better in 19 and last year with the 85 and 48. But I'm with you. I just I think Allen, because of how good he is, he's going to be Herbert's first read most of the time. He knows he's got Eckler if Eckler's healthy to dump off to. Reliable tight end and Jared Cook as well. Mike Williams, again, and I don't mean to just disparage him. I feel like I'm saying like he's a horrible player. I mean, he's a good NFL player, but I just don't, I hate it when people talk about some dude playing in this, uh, in this role in somebody's offense. Like Michael Thomas is a very, very good wide receiver. I don't think it's unfair to say that Mike Williams is just not on his level. And I also don't think Mike Williams is going to be the guy running across the middle. You know, they call Michael Thomas slant boy for a reason. I don't mean it as disrespect, but the dude takes a lot of slants. And Michael Thomas, in one way, is not afraid to come across the middle and catch the ball. We don't see Mike Williams doing that. The guy who's really doing that most of the time is Keenan Allen. Mike Williams is the guy they usually go to deep. So I, I don't see Mike Williams completely changing up his game. Even if he is the X role most of the time, doesn't mean he can't go deep here and there. I, I definitely think him playing in that role could increase his targets. And therefore, as long as he is catching the ball and staying healthy, because that's a big thing as well. He did get injured a little bit last year, missed a couple games, one game but was dealing with injury most of that time. So if he can stay healthy and get contract year, he's likely going to try and ball out. So I do expect him to have a better year. Um, I would say at best, and I haven't done my rankings yet, but I would say biggest upside you're putting in 36, 37. And I, I think even then you might, again, it's just wide receivers so deep. It's, it's hard to say that, you know, he's going to be a wide receiver too. I just don't see that. And again, wide receiver threes are great. They help your team win just as well. That's a high end wide receiver four. That matters if you're playing in some of the deep leagues that we play in, but I don't expect him to be a wide receiver too. Like some people have been pumping him up ever since they heard him and Michael Thomas being mentioned in the same sentence together. So that's just yeah. my take, but I, I, I think there's a better chance of him finishing as a three or four than a wide receiver two. Henry was a tight end one in 2020. Can Cook do that with the Chargers? And what about Dennis? No, not Dennis. Your guy, right? Is that Donald, Donald Parham, yeah. your guy? Donald, your guy, Donald Parham. So Jared Cook last year with the Saints finished as tight end 18. 37 receptions for 504 yards and seven touchdowns. Dennis said maybe it's just wishful thinking, but I think Donald Parham will at worst be in a 50-50 split with Cook. He has Cook coming in as tight end 24, and Parham is tight end 38. I just don't know what to think. Not a fan of Cook, and I really like Parham. Not sure what the new coaching staff will do. 
I feel the same way. Uh, I think Cook has a little bit of an advantage because he comes over from New Orleans, so he worked with Lombardi. That being said, he he was seeding time to both Troutman and uh, Taysom Hill last year. Um, I think he's probably more of a red zone guy. I actually do because of that. I think uh, along with Dennis that they end up splitting a lot. And because of that, I don't have either tight end up in the top 24. I think they both end up as tight end threes, unfortunately. Um, if Cook wasn't there, I really liked Parham to potentially have a chance to break out. And you also don't know, are they going to try to get McKitty involved a little bit because they spent a third-round pick on him? Um, you know, if you're on the field, Justin Herbert seems to find a way to use you. Uh, I I still like Parham and the potential. Um and I think both those guys will end up being interesting red zone threats, but that's going to be real hit or miss, even at a hit or miss position. Yeah, I think the biggest thing Parham is going to have going in his favor is that Jared Cook is just not an overall great blocker. I, not to say that he never was, but I think with his age, I don't think they're they're expecting that from him where Parham can come in and do both. So I don't disagree with Dennis that there could be a 50-50 split. Now, that being said, I don't know if they're going to use Parham all over the field, I kind of think if they won't do the same thing they did last year and just kind of use him down in the red zone because he's so big and just kind of – I mean, he can jump up and get pretty much any ball. He's got good hands. So I wouldn't expect much out of him, like, in between the 20s, but when you get down in the red zone, I wouldn't be surprised if Parham gets four or five touchdowns. And one yeah. of those things where, like, Mike Evans, the beginning of last year where he has, like, four or five touchdowns but only, like, 30 yards receiving because he's just not getting any yards. He's he's mostly being used down in the red zone. All right. On to your Denver Broncos. They finished 5-11 and 11 last year and in fourth place. Their key additions, they added cornerback Kyle Fuller and cornerback Ronald Darby, running back Mike Boone, and, of course, quarterback Teddy Bridgewater. Their key losses, rest in peace. Well, I should say rest in peace. That sounds bad. You know, Philip Lindsay, we'll miss you. Good luck in Houston because that's not a great place for you. But Houston's RB one though. That is true. Uh, he goes on to Houston. Devonte, uh, you're gonna have to tell me how to say Devonte Bosby. Name. Bosby, the cornerback, goes to the Raiders. Jeff Driscoll, quarterback, goes to Houston. Jawan James, offensive tackle, goes to the Ravens. AJ Bouye, the cornerback, to the Panthers, and Jarrell Casey, the defensive tackle, as well. Their draft picks, they get Patrick Sertan, the second in the. First round, uh, the cornerback out of Alabama. Javante Williams, running back out of North Carolina in the second. Quinn Minerts. Minerts. Okay, I just wanted to make sure. Minerts, the offensive sure. guard in the third. And then Baron Browning, linebacker out of the Ohio State University in the third round. The Broncos, for the past couple of years, have had talents on both sides of the ball, but the big question is still at quarterback. How high do you think they can go, Matt? I feel like they're the kind of team that could win nine or 10 games and be in the playoff hunt. Uh, I thought the same thing last year. Quarterback is a question. Consistency on offense is a question. Consistency from their head coach to me is also a question. I think we've seen both, both years a little bit of, you know, what we talked about with Anthony Lynn. I've seen some of those kind of tendencies from Vic Fangio. So it's a big year for him too. Um, you know, I think the thought really is if Denver can't make the playoffs this year, it's probably the end of the line of, of him as head coach, and they will probably fully move on from Drew Locke if that doesn't come to fruition. Yeah, I mean – 
it's so hard to figure out what they're going to do because, you know, we've talked about it for the past couple of years. We both like Drew Locke. You know, I, I don't know if you love him, but you like him. He shows you moments, and then you see the complete opposite of him. So it's trying to figure out which Drew Locke that can be. While he hasn't been consistent, I also think you can say the same thing of like the coaching staff hasn't been consistent. The years haven't been consistent. I mean, last year you had COVID, mm-hmm. everything going on. Like he's I had a different really, offensive coordinator every year he's been there. Exactly. He's had the injuries. I don't think he's ever gotten a chance to just go. So I think this is a big year for him, right? I mean, everybody's talking about this, this is his make or break year. And I also think he has a sh- this. He really has a shot to prove everybody wrong this year because he's got a little bit more consistency. We're going to it looks like have training camps, preseason games, a full like preseason for him to kind of build up with this offense. You're getting Cortland Sutton back, Jerry Judy in his second year. If no fan can stay healthy, I mean Melvin Gordon, while he may not be what he was in his prime, him mixed with Javante Williams is a really good running back backfield. You've got a really good offensive line that's been building the past couple of years. You're right. They have a really good team. So this is it for Drew Locke. So do you think he'll do it? Um, I do. So I think the big question has been whether they were going to go for a Watson or a Rodgers. I think you feel the same. I think Watson ends up on the commissioner's exemplist. I'm completely ruling that out. I don't think any team's making a move for Watson because of what you'd have to give up with just such a huge uncertainty. I've even heard talk out there that Watson is not only going to miss all of this year, but could potentially miss all of 22. So I don't think anyone makes a move for him. And I don't think the Packers are going to trade Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a possibility we've seen that he could opt out and then you tomorrow. see what happens yeah, so tomorrow. Think, think, if, whenever you listen to this, we're July 2nd, but, there's a big opportunity, but I'm, I'm with you. I don't think I, he does it. And I don't think the, I think the Packers are willing to, to play chicken here because yeah. I think that they saw what happened to new England last year, watching Tom Brady hoist the Lombardi trophy for somebody else. And they don't want that to be them. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think they trade for either one. I think if they would have traded for Aaron Rodgers, we talked about it leading up to the draft during our draft coverage. Like draft day was your best shot because you could have given yeah. up that first round pick. Because at that point, I think was it Justin Fields was still on the clock. Trey Lance was already gone. Zach Wilson was gone. So I don't, I don't know um, why Mac Jones, Jones. but. Uh, Mac Jones was there and Justin Fields. There were tons of talent in other positions, too, if they believe in Jordan Love and wanted to build around him. Exactly. So they had the ability, and it didn't happen again. That seems like it was more, I would guess, on the Packers' side because we did hear a lot of rumors leading up to that that Denver was trying to, and then there was kind of both on both sides revealing that that ever was close. Financially for Green Bay it makes more sense for them to just ride it out and not make a move with Rodgers because of what I believe it would cost them in a trade. In yeah, cap. I mean, I know his 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 salary this year is $39 million. I know that because I was looking it up and I was talking about the Baker Mayfield thing. I think it's 38 the year after that, and then it goes down to 12 maybe if you're pulling it up right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm pulling it up. Because I know when I was – I was talking about how much money he's going to so, pay against the cap. The dead cap, if they tried to move from him, would be $38.3 million for this year. His uh, cap hit is $37 million this year. Um, next year, his cap hit would be $39.8 million, but it would only be seventeen in dead cap to move on. His salary actually escalates next year, but it's not all fully guaranteed. 
Gotcha. See, I mean, and it makes sense. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the game, but it's one of those things where you make a move like that and it's going to cripple your franchise for a year or two, just the way it is. And, and, and fortunately, that's kind of the name of the game in the NFL business right now with quarterbacks. They're the most important position, so they're going to get paid, and that's why it matters so much. I think that's why we see these teams moving on from these guys, like a Drew Locke, if he doesn't prove it this year. I wouldn't be surprised if they just move on from him because – why do you want to tie yourself to someone possibly end up paying him a bunch of money? Now he's not going to make Aaron Rodgers money, but even if he makes a decent amount of change, trying to get out of that contract, if he ends up not being what you expect him to be. So it's a interesting part to interesting time to be alive, I guess in the NFL, if you're a quarterback, if you could trade for Aaron Rodgers or Deshaun Watson, would you, or would you, or do you rather stick Pat with Drew Locke this year? And then if he doesn't pan out, just go quarterback next year in the draft. Rodgers is, uh, it depends on what it costs. You know, I've seen some, I posted that fake one, obviously where it had some of the real there, you know, the three years of draft, number ones don't bother me as much as they bother some other people, but they were also, it was talking about three number ones plus Sutton Chubb and Dalton Reisner. And I'm like, okay, so we're going to give our best guard, our best receiver and our future pass rusher. Then you're talking about actually one of the strengths would be how great your roster is aside from, from needing a quarterback and in the move to get a quarterback, you're going to, Damage, damage the offensive line, damage your receiving core, and damage your defense. That didn't make a ton of sense to me. So it depends on the cost. I'm out on trading for Watson until anything off the field. This is nothing. I am not saying he has not been a. He would not be a huge upgrade on the field until you get some kind of idea of a resolution to this legal process. I. It's not worth giving the assets you'd have to give. Yeah. Yeah. I think on that Rogers trade, the more realistic thing would probably be if they do three, which might be possible. I mean, San Francisco did give up three picks to move up and get Trey Lance three. And then like one of those players, I don't see there's any way that they would move three picks and all three of those players just for Aaron Rodgers. That just doesn't, maybe it was a money thing. And that's why all three of them were included in there, but I, I just can't see any way a team would do that. Just looking at it that way. It just doesn't make any sense. So it doesn't make sense. Fantasy finishes and fantasy projections, providing nothing changes. It's Locke and Bridgewater. Who starts and where do they finish? Right. Uh, last year, Drew Locke finishes QB 23 in 13 games with 2,933 passing yards, 16 touchdowns, 15 interceptions, 130 rushing yards, and three rushing touchdowns. Teddy Bridgewater with the Panthers finishes QB 19. 3,733 passing yards with 15 touchdowns and 11 interceptions, 279 rushing yards with five touchdowns. Dennis says he's got Locke at QB 33, Teddy at QB 36. It's a quagmire. That being said, I assume with the way he's got it ranked, I, one of them starts and then eventually gets pulled and the other one comes in and they just kind of compete the whole year. I don't see that happening, uh, but what, what do you think, Matt? I'm in on Locke being the starter and Bridgewater being the backup. That being said, I, I have Locke at QB 22 because, you know, if everyone stays healthy – I think he'll have a good year. He's not a huge rushing threat. Um, and I I think he can have a good year and take a step forward and still be a low-end QB2 given where the position's at right now. 
yeah, I, I'm with you. I think it's Locke. I, I, obviously, if he gets injured, which is a possibility, he's had injuries the past two years, then Bridgewater gets in there, and if Bridgewater somehow blows them away, maybe they keep Bridgewater in there and he gets Wally Pitt, but I don't see that. I think it's going to take really bad play. I think they brought Bridgewater in because of what we've talked about. They actually have a really good roster, and I do think they have a chance to compete for a playoff spot. You go back a couple years ago when Locke got hurt and they were relying on guys like Jeff Driscoll and Brandon Allen, if I'm remembering correctly, because he was one yeah. of the beat rounds. And I mean, they had a good team that year. And at one point they had a good record before Locke went down. I think that's really why they brought in Bridgewaters. If Locke goes down with an injury, they still have a guy they can at least rely on to possibly help push them for the playoffs. Because I would almost venture to say, I don't know how safe Vic Fangio's job is. I, mean, I don't think he's done a horrible job in Denver, but he hasn't had a winning season, if I'm remembering correctly. So I think he may be yeah. close to being on the hot seat. So maybe that's one of those moves that they make to kind of, hey, we really need to kind of push and kind of be all in with the talent we have on this team right now. Gordon is back, but the Broncos traded up to Nab Williams in the second round. Who finishes higher in 2021? Is Gordon back with Denver next year? Melvin Gordon last year finished as running back 14 with 215 carries, 986 yards, nine touchdowns, 32 receptions for 158 yards and one touchdown. Dennis said he's got Gordon at RB27 and Williams at RB28. Reports are that Williams is coming on strong, which is not surprising. Uh, I thought he was – my opinion, the second best back in the draft class this year. Yeah, and I think they're going to have a big split. They're also talking about using Mike Boone as a running back just to probably stick the bird to the fans, to fantasy players. I have Williams finishing higher. I have him at running back 30. I have Gordon at running back 38 in my first pass. Um, I think – Williams will be the guy by the end of the season. I think Gordon will be more of the guy at the beginning of the season. Yeah, I think I'm leaning with you. I don't have him ranked yet. So, like, if I'm going off the top of my head, I actually think Williams could slide into like low end RB2, like right at the cusp of 24 because of what he can do in the receiving game. I think he's a, I mean, he's a better receiver than Melvin Gordon. I don't think Mike Boone's going to be doing that. And, while we both felt like Philip Lindsay was the better receiver, they seem to rely on Melvin Gordon more than Philip Lindsay in the receiving game. But bringing in Javante, I mean, I, I think Gordon's definitely got more explosiveness than than Williams. But Williams, I think, is just an overall better runner. My biggest argument against Melvin Gordon all these years, I don't think he's been very good, but he's gotten the volume, so he's been successful. Williams comes in, I think he's immediately better behind the line. Better vision. I love his quick burst. He, he really kind of hits in between the tackles, and he's a good receiver as well. I do think he's got really good hands. So I think Williams eventually takes over that starting spot, and I think he slides in because I think he's going to get touchdowns uh, and receiving touchdowns in the back end of the RB2 territory. Would not be surprised if Gordon starts the year as the like listed starter, but we see a like 60-40 split, and then Williams just like slowly starts to take over. Sutton is back and healthy, and it's year two for Jerry Judy. Who finishes higher? How about Tim Patrick and K.J. Hamler? Last year, obviously, Sutton, torn ACL, misses the entire season. Jerry Judy comes in as wide receiver 45, 
52 receptions, 856 yards, and three touchdowns. Tim Patrick, wide receiver 44, 51 receptions, 742 yards, and six touchdowns. Dennis said he's got Sutton at wide receiver 30, Judy at wide receiver 37, Patrick at wide receiver 82, and Hamler at wide receiver 85. So I think he doesn't believe much in this offense would be my guess by looking at those rankings. Yeah, well, I mean, he didn't have uh, quarterbacks high either. I have uh, Sutton just inside wide receiver two, currently first pass at him at 23. Judy, I think, will be a wide receiver three. And then I think Patrick and Hamler will be involved, but will come back a little bit. They've also talked about using Kendall Hinton. They've talked about um, using Deontay Spencer. Uh, there's somebody else that I'm forgetting that's on there. They currently have 15 receivers on the roster, so they're going to keep quite a few. Sutton's the one I think is going to be the best. He had great chemistry uh, with Locke when they played before. I think he's the best receiver. Judy, hopefully he'll take a little bit of a step up this year. Um, I don't think they're going to have a crazy high-volume passing offense, so, you know, I'm more realistic expectations. Patrick and Hamler, I feel like, are going to be more hit or miss. I actually think that the two biggest pieces of the pass offense are going to be Sutton and Fant at tight end. I agree. That's why I'm a little bit lower on Judy. I think Judy's still going to be good. I wouldn't actually be surprised if Judy gets a couple more touchdowns than Fant because I think he's got a little bit – he's going to be able to separate a little bit better in the short area. But I think Fant's going to be that second target with Sutton being the number one. I have Sutton currently at wide receiver 19. I, I just – if he's healthy, he was so good the past two years, and I do think having Locke there – I mean, I, I still remember the catch he made over Denzel Ward again with Brandon Allen at quarterback. Yeah. Say what you want about Drew Locke. He's better than Brandon Allen. Like, Cortland Sutton is amazing, and I've kind of noticed this with, noticed this with startup drafts. I just – I think because we haven't seen him in so long, people forget how good he really was. Like I've seen him being drafted around like wide receiver 30 off board, which is just insane to me. Like he's a really talented wide receiver. I think he's a lot to be a wide receiver too if he stays healthy. Now maybe he finishes closer to the back end. I mean 18's middle. So it's not like I have him as like really close to a wide receiver one, but I'm with you in that. I, I mean, we, even when we picked the schedules, I think I had Denver either making it in or was like right on the cusp of making the playoffs. I think they're going to be a good team this year. They've got a good defense, means they're going to keep them in the game. So they may run the ball a little bit more. But when it comes down to it, Locke, when they were on the field together, Locke had eyes for Sutton. Like he was that, even if it was a little bit risky of a throw, he was throwing it. And Sutton was going up and getting it. So I think that's going to come back if Sutton's healthy. So I'm all in on him. I'm with you on Judy. I think he finishes a wide receiver three. Wouldn't be surprised if he's high end, maybe 28, 29, 30. Uh, but I, I think he still finishes a wide receiver three. And then Fant, I think, is going to end up being a tight end one. He's going to be a major part of this offense, which I agree with you on. Dennis has Fant finishing his tight end nine. I'd probably have him right around the same area. I think seven to ten range is probably yeah, fair. Yeah, I'm at seven right now. Yeah, so I think it's seven to ten is pretty fair. Uh, what do you think, though, fan in year three? Last year, tied in 13, 62 receptions, 673 yards, and three touchdowns. Yeah, I think a little bit more receptions and more touchdowns, hopefully a little bit. Denver had a real problem um, 
of having of kicking field goals when and not getting touchdowns. And I think that hurt a lot of uh, the numbers all the way around. I think they'll have a little bit better touchdown luck hopefully this year. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. And I think the big thing for him is kind of what I was just mentioning with Sutton. Uh, he just needs to stay healthy. He's he's dealt with injuries. I mean, he's played most of the games, but he's been dealing with injuries. If he can stay healthy, I think Fant's going to be another guy who's going to be in for a really good season. So that'll do it for the AFC West. Now let's talk about Loki. Again, we have not seen the newest episode, episode four, which dropped yesterday. We're going to be talking about episode three here. So we get an expansion of the world and premise in episode three. What did you think of it overall? Uh, I thought it was pretty good. You know, the the world that they went to was interesting. It was mostly um, a two-hander between him and um, the female antagonist who we learn is Sylvie. Um, oh, yeah. Is a Loki. Yes. But doesn't want to be referred to that way. I think that kind of, I think it was you last week that brought up, you know, are there a bunch of different, you know, are Lokis yeah. just like, and it seems like that's what they're intimating the idea that in the multiverse, Loki is a role, the god of mischief, not necessarily a specific version of that role. Yes, Austin, I haven't seen it. So I have. If I watch it without my wife, yeah. I will. Both you will of have us to find to a, to our wives last Yeah, time. you will have to find someone to take over my shares of campusdecanton.com because I will no longer be alive if I watch it without her. So I maybe uh, that's I uh, Austin's power play right there. He wants you maybe, to, to take, maybe. That, he's, to take you know, that. He's risk. been trying to push me out for a while now. I can kind of feel he's already trying to get me kicked off Debbie debate. I, I, I can see it. So maybe that is his goal here. But yeah, it's. I, I want to see it though. I mean, again with. With the way that episode three left off, I, I cannot wait for a Friday night for when my wife gets home so that we can watch it. But it's one of those things where, you know, I'm going to be honest. There's some things my wife can do for me that make me very happy as a man. And that matters to me. I don't want to lose those privileges uh, because of watching a TV show. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to happily stay married, keep my wife happy. Because, you know, as the saying goes, happy wife, happy life. Don't want to sleep on the couch. I like my bed. So. What did you think of the banter between Loki and Sylvie? Definitely kind of got a little bit – it was friendly and combative all at the same time as a thing moved on throughout a very, you know, interesting episode overall in episode three. Yeah, I mean, they're both uh, the gods, you know, a god of mischief. Their whole thing is kind of deceit. It was interesting to see they practiced um, that role in slightly different ways. I like the banter back and forth between them. I thought a couple of really good performances, um, which, I, you know, I'm excited to see that kind of moving forward. It was interesting from the, from the moment in the, uh, in the first episode when they said they were recruit, recruiting Loki to battle a variant that was Loki, you're like, yeah. oh, is he going to be fighting himself? And they, they seem to kind of have found the perfect sparring partner uh, you know, like the female version. Yeah, that was, you know, it was interesting. I'm glad that we got that clarified because I wondered for a while if that was Loki, you know, disguised as like a female version of Loki. So it was good to see that it's actually her and not like a disguised thing that, you know, we've seen him do in the previous movies. I enjoyed it as well. The whole train scene I thought was was really interesting with him getting drunk and and all that and just kind of, also, before that part, seeing like the differences as well with how 
Loki grew up compared to Sylvie, they had like subtle hints of like what their families were like based on talking about things about their mother, their father. So it was very interesting between all that stuff, I thought as well, and how same person. And I think in the way, because I believe Sylvie said that her mother was gone as well, but it didn't intimate like she was killed by the dark elves, like Loki lost his and that he was had played a hand in it. We don't know if Sylvie did. So it's definitely interesting getting that part of it. What do you think of the idea that in the multiverse, Loki is a character, not a specific individual? Will we see more people drop into this role going forward? I've yeah, got, I think, got a big one on this, so go ahead. I think it gives them some latitude. You know, We know uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is coming up. We know that the new Spider-Man is going to introduce this multiverse. And this. You know, they've cast Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield. So you already know you're going to see all these different people who have played this role. Um, I think it's a very expansive way to go. And I could see that coming back, this entire you know, shift in... in in um, I guess it's phase four now seems to be expanding the world and expanding the possibility. We know the next Thor is going to be about uh, Natalie Portman's character of Jane taking on that mantle of Thor. So you're seeing kind of different people step up into these roles. And I think they're opening the door to having more people in, in that kind of role. Yeah. I, I think this is them leading up to the Spider-Man stuff and everything, right? Like we know that they brought, they, as you just mentioned, uh, Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield back. So you're going to see different versions of Spider-Man. I think that that's what they're leading to and showing. And I wonder if this also may be their way to open up the door to possibly bringing back a Tony Stark that maybe not be Robert Downey Jr. Or a captain. Well, they have captain America now. And in my opinion, and, what uh would Fal- falcon becoming captain america but i wouldn't be surprised if we you know if you've read the comics you know that uh i want to say her name is Ironheart, uh who is the new like taking over as a new iron man i think she calls oh, yeah. him Ironheart in the comic books we've seen different versions of captain america so i wonder if this is their way to like maybe incorporate some of them into the Marvel universe as we move forward, because we've talked about it. Obviously when we saw the WandaVision stuff, they're moving toward the multiverse of madness. It's going to open up. I hope infinite possibilities with the Marvel universe. So I think this is kind of their way of slowly showing you that there can be more than one Loki and it's not, doesn't necessarily have to be the same character. So, you know, will we see what, what, what is interesting to me? Cause me and my wife talked a little bit about this moving forward is, I wonder if maybe this sets up for us to see more Sylvia's Loki moving forward because we know Tom Hiddleston's character is, for the most part, gone because he is he's murdered mm-hmm. by Thanos. If, if there's a way for him not to stay in this world, because we don't know how that works just yet. And I don't know if that is answered at all in, in episode four, but we've only got three episodes left, two yeah. after episode four. So. so this was kind of the halfway point. Yeah, so I mean, there's still a lot of very interesting things that could happen, but it's I, I like the way and the direction that they're going so far with it, and I think it's going to be interesting how the rest of the Phase 4 continues to play off of this and in the multiverse here. So we hit the halfway mark with the season. Where do you think this is going, and will this be more than a one-off? Yeah, so probably my biggest question is we still have not seen any um, – connection to the the larger world that's still going because you know where loki got pulled out he knows he's dead in the current future 
Um, I this could be a way I could see them keeping you know him enjoying him working with the Time Variant and staying there, and that being a way to keep a talented actor who's really good in a role in uh, the Marvel universe without reversing course and saying he's still alive. Um, you know, because obviously a pretty profound death scene there in the last uh, set of Avengers films. So. That would be one interesting possibility. And I also am waiting to see, we have seen with all of these shows so far, connecting in some way to what's going to come uh, in the larger world. And we haven't really seen that connection point yet. I feel like that's coming. Yeah, I think, I hope that it's not a one-off because, you know, we've talked a little bit about this earlier. Like Tom Hiddleston's just perfect as Loki. I mean, he really, as you just mentioned, is like the perfect cast of, of him. He does a great job. You know, if you ever hear him do interviews about it, he talks about how much he loves playing Loki. I hate to lose him. Obviously, you, it's going to happen eventually. You know, I would say the same thing with with uh, I wanna, Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man. I mean, it was perfectly cast, but we knew that wasn't going to last forever. So eventually we're going to lose Hiddleston as Loki. I think the biggest thing that I took from this, I, I hope it's not a one-off, and where it's going is I really want to see what they're going to do with uh, the time, uh, what God, I always forget what their name is. The, the time, time Variant Authority. Yeah, because you did get the little bit of a bomb dropped in there that all of the people who work there are apparently variants themselves and they don't know mm-hmm. that anymore. So what exactly does that mean? Do we get to see a big setup? I mean, I feel like they've hinted at possibly them being kind of the villains of this show for the most part, but at the same time, you've seen them kind of at least Mobius seems to be like the guys like trying to help out Loki. So do we see more of them going forward? Like how all that's going to work? There's a lot of questions that need to be answered again for you and me, the last three episodes, because we haven't been able to see episode four yet. So I am, I'm really excited to kind of see what's going on and what's going on. Felix. And I, and I think that's what opens the door to him. Uh... <laughs> Sorry, Felix. Scott. Uh, it's. I think that's what opens the door to uh, that to Tom Hiddleston's Loki staying with them is the idea that everyone that works for the TVA was a variant once, yeah. uh, once upon a time. So it would make sense that they use these variants uh, they as recruits. Um, so it wouldn't be you know it would be a natural segue for him if he's good at what he's doing and ends up playing. And we we don't know you know he probably is a little bit on the outs with them right now because you see at the end of episode two, we know he was following and we don't even know always what his motivation is. At times he seemed like he was trying to work with them. And at times he seemed like he was trying to screw with them. So, you know, that's, that's a big question. You don't know what's going to happen if Sylvia is successful with her plan to meet and possibly destroy the, the time Lords or what, what all might happen. And maybe that's the way it plays into the future of whatever's going to happen in Spider-Man and, and, in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, maybe it is something with having the time variant authority and the time timelines get shattered that creates this huge multiverse. Yeah, that that would be my guess. But well, obviously, we've got three episodes left to see what happens. So Matt and myself will be back with Dennis on Monday, probably a little bit earlier than usual as we are going. Uh, we're all off for the 4th of July 
So we will be going a little bit earlier than usual so we can kind of relax and enjoy our nights as I will actually have to be up at 2 o'clock in the morning on Tuesday because Austin and myself will be part of the Scott Fishbowl Potathon, and that was the time slot that we got. So I'm getting up super early, so we're, we're going to record a little bit earlier so I can hopefully take a little bit of a nap. But we will be back talking. What are we talking next week? We uh, AFC North Part 1. So it'll be the Packers and the NFC Bears. North. Oh, NFC North. I'm sorry. NFC or, North. I'm sorry. I'm... NFC North. Yeah. So I, Packers I and Bears. That'll be, that'll be two. Good I got teams. the right teams, the wrong conference. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's what's happening. Like, man, we're already almost to the end of it. I guess we are almost all, already to the end. We're already almost into a couple weeks away from training camps kicking up and everything. So, yep. so we have uh, next week's the NFC North and the AFC North. And then we're going to start going through our rankings. So that's just a heads up to you that you have two weeks to Thank actually you, put because. I really, I, I mean, I have my dynasty ones done. I need to get my redraft ones done, and that will be the kick in the ass I needed to make sure it happens this weekend because I, I will have a little bit extra time. So, Matt, myself, and Dennis will be back on Monday to talk about all of that. Everybody probably talk about the start of the Scott Fishbowl too because they're going to be oh, kicking yeah, off drafts kicking about the time. So we can talk. By. I don't even know what spot I'm at. So yeah, we can talk about our draft spots if we get to. I haven't paid. All I know is I'm in the Beyonce division. I haven't tried. To, I don't even want to do mocks this year. I feel like I over prepared last year and it cost me. So this year I'm just going to kind of go in with my usual mindset of get an idea of what I want to do and then kind of react to the draft. Because last year I was kind of I did all these mocks and I was like. You know, I can get a quarterback early and then wait on one, and that did not happen to be true, and it kind of cost me a little bit. So I wanted this year just kind of play it with the way. And I've got a also you and me, we were really so excited we got George Kittle away early oh, in yeah, that's, the draft, that's and it was like Kittle's got it. And when he was on the field, we won games. When he was yeah. not on the field, we four well, Yeah, I was I was thrilled with the way my draft started last year. I think I had like Kittle, Chubb, um. I know I had Baker on my team too. I ended up with Gaskin as well as like a late grab. So like I had good RBs. I had one good wide receiver. I actually think I had Sutton, which cost me. Uh, but I had like a, I had two good wide receivers. Like I had a good team and then Kittle went down. Chubb got hurt as well. And so I was playing Dearness Johnson at times last year because I couldn't get running backs. It's like, this is just horrible. That's the thing, you know, when you're in a deeper draft, because it's 22 rounds, 12 teams, so that's a lot of players coming off the board, and you're playing with people that actually know the game. Yeah. Big injuries yes. to early draft picks, and you're pretty well out of it because it's really hard to recover when you lose all those expected points. Yeah, because even the fans that are in these drafts are just as sharp as as some of these. So I don't consider myself an analyst, but like the so-called analyst. I mean, I've got – the people in my division, when I got added into the group chat, I was like, all right, so my goal is to finish 11th this year if I can. I think I finished 10th. So I was like, you know, if I can just not finish last in my division this year, I'll be happy because I've got a really good group of people in mind. I'm excited to get the draft going. We've had a lot of fun talking in our little Beyonce chat. So still need to get my avatar, but I'm, I'm excited for it. I can't wait get to kick up that start. Yeah, I know. I got mine today. So. It feels I saw real. Yours looks good. I like it. Dude, yours looks I'm in good, the, so. uh, the Imagine Dragons. So, you know, we got the Campus to Canton logo on there to rep, rep our uh, network. Yeah, it's it looked good. I, I saw them uh, I saw them tag you in it before I saw you post the things. It's like, oh, shit. So, yeah, it was. it's definitely really good. I cannot wait to Yeah, I wasn't at wait. I, you know, you know. Yeah, they did it like four o'clock in the morning my time. I, I, like, I, started, I think it was like five o'clock in the morning my time. And I was like, oh, oh yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't think he saw it yet. Yeah. 
So, all right. Well, then, everybody, enjoy your weekends. Uh, if you are doing anything for the 4th, be safe, have fun, enjoy time with your family, enjoy the fireworks, everything else that goes along with July 4th. And Matt, myself, and Dennis will be back with you guys on Monday. Prepare for glory! I don't know if you got your pop.